Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host Matthew Pekovic and this is episode number 259. Award season is now upon us which means Talking Oscars is back to cover all things Oscars and awards related for this 2019-2020 awards season. Join me now is film critic, movie analyst and my fellow co-host for Talking Oscars, Mr. Shane Bassett. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me today. As always, and I keep repeating myself, it's a pleasure talking to you, Matt, and I love this time of year, so I'm very excited, mate. Well, speaking of this time of year, a lot of movies out this time of year, which I'm sure yeah. you and I have been feasting on, like a big, like it's a big cinematic buffet. Um, so how about you go first, Shane? Tell me about the movies that you've seen since we last uh, chatted on the podcast. Uh, I won't go through them all because, oh, goodness me, I've probably seen about 15, 20-odd movies since yeah. the last time we've had a chat. But me too. Over, over the last, say, week, I've caught up with uh, Maleficent, of course, Mistress of Evil, Maleficent 2, that is, which I got a lot of um, bad press. But, you know, as, as much as it wasn't as great and good as the uh, you know original from about four years ago, I didn't mind this. It was okay. And Angelina Jolie, I think, is one of my favourites when I have to handpick an actress. She's always up there. Um, I saw My Name is Dolomite, which is an Eddie Murphy film based on uh, the movie Dolomite and Rudy Ray Moore from the 70s. Yep. Now, it's a Netflix movie and it's just been released, but my goodness, I mean... I, I couldn't see it making a lot of movie foreign uh, in the foreign market, but in the US, I would be very surprised if it didn't do well, if it actually had a general cinema release. And I loved it. I was really good. And I guess we'll be talking about Eddie Murphy the closer it comes to awards season because he's terrific. Yep. Uh, Zombieland 2, well, if you want to call it Zombieland Double Tap, I uh, wasn't a fan of the original in 2009, and I was kind of hoping this one would be a step up. And if it wasn't for the actors involved, because they're all quality actors and, you know, even award winners, uh, it just was in free fall. It, it didn't do it for me, I've got to say. It was entertaining while it was on, but honestly, we didn't need that sequel. Uh, the King, I saw another Netflix film, which is uh, in the market, in the mix with a, a cinema release. A little bit uh, disappointed with that one. Not a bad acting, but as a whole, it is so slow and so boring. Um, and I saw it twice, and it was just as bad as the first time, I've got to say. Um, and that's probably about it that's worth mentioning, mate. Um, Dolomite is my name. That's a film I'm really looking forward to watch. I think it just hits on Netflix like a couple of days ago. Um, and the Eddie Murphy thing, I've heard quite a bit about that as well, about um, his best performance in ages. Wesley Snipes as well. I'm mean, keep hearing that he's really terrific in the movie as well. Yeah, he's got a small role in it, uh, and it's it's significant, but it's a small role. Speaking of uh, another potential Oscar nominee, I saw Judy, which was the, um, the uh, Judy Garland biopic that starred... Renee Zellweger, she plays the famed uh, actress and songstress in the last uh, year of her life, um, so, um, dealing specifically with her time of a tour um, in London. Um, she did a series of shows over there. And at this point in her career, Judy Garland was practically homeless. She was about to lose custody of her kids. Yeah. Um, all the different kind of things going on with her. Um, uh, eating, um, uh, she wasn't eating at the time, a lot of drug use, a lot of drinking. Um, and it was just, I thought it was a terrific performance by Renee Zellweger. I mean, we don't see her on the screen that often. Um, and once in a while, she might do something and it would go just right under the radar and go straight to DVD, which is a shame because to me, she's one of the kind of like you mentioned before, Angelina Jolie. She's in that class of kind of movie star, you know. She just has that kind of classic thing, but she also has her own kind of, has established her own identity. And, and of course, she's just a terrific talent as well. And Everything that she did in this movie was fantastic. It's I saw Judy too, and I agree. Like she really does have a powerhouse performance in that, and she's got to be a shoe in for, you know, at least nominations across the board. I'm be interested to see though if there's going to be fatigue from the Academy in regards to performances based on singers or uh, or the like. I mean, last year we had the Queen movie, and that made a, a few things. This year already, we got we're talking. Last um, last time we were on the podcast about the potential of maybe Rocketman making some moves. I'm not sure. Yes. Getting out kind of early, um, and but I, I think Judy um, definitely can can 
can stick it out because the performance is that strong. And uh, Renee Zellweger, like I said, is a, she's just a, a force in this movie. Um, even when she's not on stage doing the singing and the dancing and what have you, which she does extremely well, by the way, I might add, um, she really brings a real fragility to the screen. And, and at times almost um, unrecognisable. There's great makeup work there as well. So um, that was I, I like that movie very much. I mean, she does her own singing too, yeah. which is, you know, like that's what, I really pinpointed while I was watching it. You could tell she might not look a hundred percent like Judy Garland did, but it's just that quality of singing and the ma- mannerisms, as I always say, she nailed it. Um, and other than that, I've been knee deep in uh, horror movies. We have the Monster Fest happening right now. It's in Melbourne, and on Halloween, October thirty-one, for um, I think around three, four days, it's going to tour. Um, around Australia and hit all different types of cinemas. I think event cinemas in George Street are going to be doing a lot of these films. And um, I saw a bunch of films from that and have been interviewing a bunch of different directors and uh, from, from that as well. And just some standouts. There's um, a really cool documentary um, that goes for four over four hours, Shane, this documentary. But um, it's fantastic. It's, its focus is on 80s horror and Pretty much, it's almost like an encyclopedic kind of uh, presentation towards it. It goes through year after year in the 80s, picks out six, seven films from each year, yep. gets in there, dissects them, has, has different kind of um, um, presenters, whether it's been directors, uh, um, actors, um, even like uh, musicians, film critics, etc., all there talking about their favourite um, 80s films. And I, as a big horror movie fan and someone who grew up on 80s horror um, with the practical effects and, and the like, um, it was a big... It was just fun to watch. Um, there's an Australian movie called The Furies. Um, um, that I've was, seen that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I liked it very much. I'm not a big gore hound, which might sound weird considering what I was saying before about 80s horror. Sometimes I find gore can get a little too far, especially in the early 2000s with the torture porn thing. I felt that was a way. And there are elements of that in The Furies, but there's also some surprising things it does with genre conventions. It twists it around. It's... It's made on a low budget. I think it had like a, a budget of maybe six, seven mil. Um, but uh, the, the what it used with that budget, it did a great job with its practical effects, great setting, great performances. I was a fan of that as well. And finally, and what could possibly be my favorite horror movie of the year is a film called Daniel Isn't Real. It's directed by Adam Egypt Mortimer. Um, if I can compare it to a previous film, I don't know. Have you ever seen Jacob's Ladder starring Tim Robbins? Uh, I I have, and that has got a big twist in it that you don't want to like ruin for people if they don't know the storyline. Yes. But um, the title, Daniel is for real? Is, is that what it's called? Daniel isn't real. Um, Does it, that's not a spoiler in the title, is it? Well, we, from the bat, you know that the two main actors, okay. one of them played by uh, Miles Robbins, who ironically is the son of Tim Robbins, who was in Jacob's Ladder, and Susan Sarandon. Oh, okay. And the other actor is Patrick Schwarzenegger, who, of course, is the son yeah. of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Miles Robbins plays a shy, awkward uh, college student who conjures up an imaginary friend when he was younger, and his imaginary friend comes back in the form of Patrick Schwarzenegger. Um, it's kind of like this relationship between this, uh, this um, kind of like messed up young um, young guy, but well-meaning young guy, and his imaginary friend. There's a lot of twists and turns. A lot of different um, uh, things come up in the, in the, during a movie, which I've just found to be fantastic. Has great scares, has great imagination, terrific performances. Adam Egypt Mortimer has done a couple of films before Daniel He's a Real, really makes his mark here as a genre director. Um, I think he brings something to the table with this type of filmmaking and with the themes in the films that other people haven't done before. And I can't, I cannot recommend this movie enough. Daniel isn't real. Pretty sure it's coming out here through Rialto Cinemas. I'm not sure that I'm pretty sure it is this year, maybe November, December. Um, but if you, if you, if it comes your way, Shane or anyone else listening out there, I really recommend you watch it. Well, funny you mentioned Jacob's Ladder because I remember Macaulay Culkin being in that, and I rewatched it a few years ago and totally forgot he was in it until mm. he pops up. Um, and I, I knew what happened t- towards the end of the outcome, not giving it away here, but yep. it still surprised me because it holds up. But then there's been a remake since, yeah. which came out and just disappeared. I haven't seen it, but um, that's what prompted me to watch the original again. And then I heard the remake just sort of disappeared without a trace. Yeah, um, I, yeah, the, yeah. The reviews for the remake, even from the uh, the kind oh, the kindness of critics, was just uh, were just tearing it to shreds. I mean, it just didn't work. 
uh, whatsoever. That's what I read. I'm not interested in watching a remake. No, just, no. I, I know there's certain films you can and can't remake. As in, I know horror cinema tends to do that quite a bit, but Jacob's Ladder was such a unique film, um, just in great performances and the twists and turns you're talking about in that movie. Um, but if people like that kind of feel horror, that type of filmmaking, then Daniel isn't real. I can highly recommend uh, to them. Well, I like Patrick Schwarzenegger. I've seen him in a couple of things, but I didn't realise Tim Robbins' son was acting too, so that's great. He's been in a couple of films already. He was in Blockers and he was in a Halloween remake. Oh, and so I've, I've seen, seen both of those. So okay. once you see him, you will see the resemblance, especially to uh, Susan Sarandon, I think, um, and yeah. uh, and you'll be like, oh, that guy, I know him. <laughs> um, so it's he's one of those actors because we, I remember, I know I've saw the actor, but I didn't know he came from practically Hollywood acting royalty. I didn't. To, to be fair, Blockers was okay, but it was more the adults in it that I found funnier. Right. Yes. And Halloween, that most recent remake or reboot of it, was okay, but I'm one of the few that was, you know, I just didn't think it was that great. Yeah. I thought it was only okay. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of the remake as well, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm the type of guy I think we've. Um, with, uh, with that Halloween film especially, I didn't like the fact that they kind of discarded like all of the other sequels that came after the first one. And the reason why I didn't like that is because you had a lot of people, um, whether it's directors, writers, actors, and crew who worked hard on those movies and kind of dismissed them, dismissed them aside like that. I think it's kind of, kind of, kind of rude and kind of. Well, that's exactly what's happening with the new Terminator. All yeah. the movies after T two have been disregarded in mm-hmm. the television shows. So we'll see. Yep. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let's move on now to the AACTU nominations, or known as the Actor Awards. For anyone out there who doesn't know what this is, it's kind of like the equivalent of the Australian Oscars. And this year we had um, a. It's kind of odd. Every time the nominations come out, it just seems like there are like three or two, three films. Um, that kind of dominates the whole board, and it's no different this year. So the Nightingale leads the pack with 15 nominations. You got 13 nominations for Hotel Mumbai, and also 13 nominations for The King. Those two titles are really interesting, considering I still don't think the the body behind the Actor Awards really know what constitutes an Australian film, and I think that's something that's still kind of debated. Yes, the King and a Yes Hotel Mumbai can be can be called Australian productions, but are they Australian movies? I'm not sure. You watch the King. Um, when you hear that 13 nominations went its way, what do you think of that, Shane? Oh, as I said, it is. It's very, very well made, and the acting in it is quite good, especially from Timothy Chalamet and Joel Edgerton. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, a, a, it's just missing something, and they have which is fine. They've played with the historic elements, so they've stretched it. It's not accurate, but that doesn't matter, you know. That getting so many award nominations, I mean, yeah, I think the selection is pretty slim, and it's a big production. So it, it deserves, from what I, I've skimmed over all the, the award nominees, and I, I think it deserves it. But the one that surprised me is Judy and Punch. Mm. That, that's been nominated for a few. I, I didn't detest it. But I found that really difficult to watch and enjoy, and I just don't know about that one at all. Um, the Nightingale is another one. I mean, the subject matter aside, it's a, it's very well acted in cinematography, but it, does it deserve that many? I just think there's so much slim pickings, and I don't believe that the actor uh, board or whoever it is that get together have seen all the films. That is a really good point because I remember when both the Nightingale and Judy and Punch were um, at the Sydney Film Festival, the reactions to them by the audience in particular was incredibly decisive. In fact, the, at the screening of the Nightingale that I went to, at least 10, 12 people walked out of that because the front yeah. end of the movie especially is particularly brutal. There are scenes in that film um, that were very extremely uh, violent. And my reaction to the Nightingale as a whole was that, to me, it is a film... Um, that presents itself uh, as a film of importance but doesn't prove to really be one. Um, I thought that it was sluggishly paced. I thought that the violence really overwhelmed any type of narrative that it was trying to represent. And yes, the performances were pretty good. But just looking at some of these um, um, nominees, for example, uh, Michael Sheesby got nominated for The Nightingale. He plays the husband of the lead actress played by Aisling Frank Kiyosi. He must be in the film for five minutes. 
Um, And I really don't understand how he gets a nomination. Um, Same, you have Magnola Maimuru, um, who's also in the Nightingale. She was in it for maybe less time than that. Um, So I I just find it really odd, um, a lot of the nominations here. And if you just, if you go to the actor's website, um, if you look up and down, it just seems like it's the same movies in every category, one after the other after the other. And Shane, look, you and I, we watch a lot of Australian films, independent films, genre films. It really doesn't seem like that those movies get the f- a fair rub, in my opinion. What do you think, Shane? No, exactly. Yeah, it is the same ones. Um, there's a few omissions. I thought maybe uh, Rachel Griffiths might have had a little bit of a more of a look in for as a director. Yep. For um, Ride Like a Girl, I mean. The movie is fairly cliched and straightforward, even though it's based on an incredible, inspiring true story, don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's nothing major about the film. You can go back to Farlap and even the cup um, that was made by Simon Winsor is, you know, that they're following the same horse racing structure. But, the, you know, Ride Like the Girl, a girl by, had Teresa Palmer in it, who's also very good, so I'm glad that she's nominated. But Top End Wedding, you know, Judy and Punch at... It's thrown me a bit because I was just hoping of a little bit more variety this year. Um, Hotel Mumbai, there's a supporting actress, Tilda Cobram Harvey, I think is how you say. She was outstanding. And I'm really glad to see her in the mix. Uh, We'll get into more details, I guess, the closer the actor awards are coming up in December. But Ben Mendelsohn's another one. You talk about being in the film for five minutes. He was was not in it for much longer than that himself in The King. So... I, I don't know. It's a tough one, and I love Australian movies, but I seem, seem like I'd be saying the same thing every year, that the same movies get nominated each year, and they all share the same honours, yeah. if that makes sense. It, it does, yeah, 100%. And just looking at the indie films as well, you've got two really great films in there, Acute Misfortune and Book Week. Those are my two of my favourite Aussie films in the last year. Um, and their actors, Daniel Henshaw and Alan Dukes, could easily be nominated. Um, that was both terrific in there. Sam Neill who was in um, uh, Ride Like a Girl, I think. I thought he gave one of his best performances, very charming kind of personal performance. Yeah, he was pretty movie. good. Yeah. What about the movie, the, there was all the war movie, the uh, Danger Close? Danger Close was my favourite Aussie film. Well, there was some so fantastic far. acting in that, but no, I don't acting. think anyone has been got a look in there. That's just got technical nominations. And I'm Chris, surprised. And Chris Stenders didn't get a directing nod. He's got four, there are four noms here to go and to, to direct in. I don't know why... Every other category has five. The movie category has six, and director only has four. I don't get that. Um, but Chris Denders, I think he did a terrific job with Danger Close. That movie was fantastic. I loved the acting in it. I loved it. that you mentioned the technical aspects were terrific as well. But it's a great story as well. Really well made. I was at the premiere screening for that at the Sydney Film Festival. There were teary eyes. People were standing up and cheering and clapping. I really think they dropped the ball on that one. It was a movie that had a really good long cinema run too, through word of mouth and just people knowing that the impact that it had and that the story was an Australian story. And I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, no, I'm surprised that didn't get a little bit more of a look in. Um, I'm not totally against Judy and Punch. There were some good performances in it, but I just... Is it up? Is it in the mix? Is it a movie that's worth no- nominating as one of the best? I don't think so. Yep, definitely. Let's move on to some uh, news that could have a, a impact on the awards coming up. And we mentioned this last time we were on the podcast, and that is Martin Scorsese's comments in regards to superhero movies, which a lot of people have put towards Marvel films in particular, are considering their dominance in the box office. So since then, Martin Scorsese is definitely... Um, backed up his words and that he's clarified his comments somewhat before he pretty much said that um the marvel films or superhero movies um to in his opinion aren't cinema and more of a kind of like family theme park ride and since then he's kind of clarified that a little more and says it's like it's a different type of cinematic expression um and it's really kind of interesting because since then other people have put in the two cents. robert daniel jr's talked about it and his his things pretty much is hey that's martin scorsese he can say whatever he wants francis for coppola who uh, came from the same kind of like auteur background as Martin Scorsese, director of The Godfather, Pockets Now. He went one step further, 
called the film's despicable and then you got backlash from people like James Gunn the director of Suicide Squad, the upcoming Suicide Squad in the Guardians of the Galaxy films he went back both at Coppola and Scorsese in a respectful but very kind of, uh, kind of like uh, hey look people didn't like it when Westerns came out and look in uh, you know in the superhero movie is pretty much the new Western that was his kind of uh, retorts to what they were saying. Interestingly enough, Benedict Cumberbatch also has talked about it. He said that we need to protect our auteurs. So he's 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 funny. He plays Doctor Strange. He's in these movies, but he's very much like, look, we need to protect our filmmakers more than our franchises, and I find that very interesting as well. Um, Shane, what did you think of this whole thing? This whole uh, expanding, um, evolving conversation involving what is is in cinema, Marvel versus Scorsese. Well. I hadn't heard that comment about westerns so that that's a little bit of an eye-opener that um that must have slipped by me but you know i i kind of agree with say what robert downey jr said that i think they have the right to say whatever they want uh, coppola made apocalypse now for goodness sake the godfather and the conversation and everything else and yep. scorsese the same and you know at least scorsese also said that he gave him a try he gave it a go. And it's not like he said it after the first Iron Man film or the first Avengers film. It's been, what, 20 movies or something. So he's now saying that he's basically over it. Uh, and there's a place for it. Look, I get it. It brings joy to many people. But the Gen Zs or the Millennials, they will not even really, they wouldn't even know who Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese were i wouldn't believe many wouldn't anyway they won't care what a 70 plus year old saying about the movies that they love and comic book movies aren't going anywhere they're here to stay they're going to change but they're here to stay and they're the movies that are number one globally making the money around the world and and getting the fan bases and and just inspiring people to get out of the house and go to the cinemas so the fact that these two have said what they said i think they've spoken out what they feel but there's many that haven't said anything over the years that really wanted to so you you, you know tarantino maybe wanted to say something people might wanted to say something but they haven't until these two have stepped up so good for them they're entitled to say what they want to say i'm not the biggest marvel fan so i'm actually pretty stoked they came out and said what they said but they also retorted a little bit and said hey you know it's a there's a place for them but theme park rides or, and the like, you know, that's what they're comparing to them to. Good for them. But, you know, I, if I had a choice, I'd rather go and see a good solid drama like The Irishman than the next Avengers movie any day. That, that's just me. It's really interesting because it seems to me there's two battles going on. Or actually, I'm going to say three battles going on. Number one is, um, and I read this really great article. It is a great website called Toto in Hollywood, Christian Toto. He's, he's been on my podcast a few times. He's a... Um, film journalist from uh, Denver and he had a great document uh, not documentary sorry a great article talking about how the era of the filmmaker is over and now is the time of the film by committee which is essentially what these Marvel films are there are directors attached but nothing gets done without what Kevin Feige and the people over at um, Marvel and Disney say can be done um, it's kind of similar to what is happening with the Star Wars movies with Kathleen Kennedy and all that. Yep. Um, and I think what is really driving this is the dominance of these films at the cinema. So you have Disney owning these movies. Now Disney have taken over a lot of Fox properties as well. What's going to happen with that? You mentioned Tarantino before. I don't know if you remember this, but several years back when The Hateful Eight came out, Quentin Tarantino had a big... Um, uh, argument with both Disney and uh, a cinema chain in Los Angeles I forgot which one it was could be the draft house but I'm probably not correct there um, he had a big problem with them because he they wanted to put all their screens just be The Force Awakens because Star Wars The Force Awakens was just about to come out I do and, remember this now, and yeah, yeah Hateful Eight pretty much got knocked out of the cinema this is a cinema that had all of his films beforehand and he was at that time and this was like you know for how long now? 10 years ago or so, uh, at that time was saying that this dominance by one distributor, one franchise over everything else, taking over every screen in the multiplexes is a dangerous thing. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And maybe, just maybe, Shane, we can see this go head-to-head -head at the Oscars. Now, I gave a prediction last, uh, last time we spoke 
in regards to Avengers Endgame, whether it's going to have the uh, funds behind it, whether this is going to push it hard to push it forward um, to try to get some of those Oscar nominations. Now, whether it's going to happen, I don't know. I think I'm more in the school, uh, uh, in, in your school of thought, that it probably won't get a nomination for Best Picture. But it's going to be very interesting to see whether, if Disney does put the push behind it, um, do you have the Irishman on one side versus the Avengers on the other, the old school versus the new school, which is kind of odd there, because when you think about it, both films have similarities. Both go for over three hours. Both films have a uh, use digital technology, um, advanced digital technology to tell its stories. Both films as well have almost like these super star, uh, superhero assemblage. I mean, you look at The Irishman, that's the superhero of gangster films right there. Pacino and Pesci and De Niro. Well, we Harvey hope Cartel. so. We both of us haven't seen it. We haven't seen point, it. But, but early, we hope so. Early reports have been really good. And I, just to end on that, I just want to bring you back to when Marlon Scorsese won his Oscar. And on the stage to present to him, I don't know if you remember this, was Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas. As soon as yeah. they walked out, everyone knew that Scorsese was going to win. And <laughs> it's really interesting up there because you have four filmmakers four friends they grew up together um, in, the, in the system and Scorsese and Coppola are the auteurs there they are the guys who made you know you mentioned the titles before Godfather Apocalypse Now Mean Streets etc etc then on the other hand you have Steven Spielberg the man who made the summer blockbuster in Jaws you have George Lucas the man who created Star Wars which just revolutionized everything merchandising marketing wise afterwards and I think to me, when I talk about the superhero movie, to me, those are just an evolution and uh, in, in the part of the evolution of what Jaws and Star Wars and E.T. and all those things that those filmmakers, filmmakers George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in particularly set um, back in the late 70s and has evolved on forward. Um, so is it cinema? I think it is cinema. If you consider Star Wars cinema, if you consider E.T. cinema, if you consider Jaws cinema, for example, and I think the superhero movie fits in with there. If the Dark Knight is cinema, um, what about Watchmen? What about, say, Logan? What about all these other movies? There's so many offshoots of the superhero film. Is Joker a superhero movie? Or that, to me, is more of a spin-off. See, that's the thing, right? So the superhero movies in on itself has different type of um, um, trees and branches they can just yeah. spin off to. So to me, I think the real problem here is the dominance of the one franchise from the one distributor who's gobbling up assets like Galactus and he's owning them. And I think Scorsese has seen this. And you have to remember, The Irishman, that took a very long time to get to the screen. And the only guys who will pick it up at the end was Netflix, the streaming channel. Paramount had it, they dropped it. Everyone else, when I looked at it, saw the price tag, they didn't want it. I guarantee you, if they had a chance to get an Avengers at the same price tag, they would gobble it up. I guarantee <laughs> yeah, they you. Yeah, they didn't seem, if Paramount dropped it, they've had a pretty up and down run themselves yep. over the last few years. And so. they owned the Marvel films before Disney, remember? Yeah, they did. Yeah. That's right. So I just think the what the big thing right, that is up, um, Scorsese's crawl, I think he does think that it isn't cinema. And like you said, he's seen a couple of the films and he believes so. But I also think that he is just really pissed off because he is Martin Scorsese. He is one of the most influential directors. He is one of the most um, outspoken advocates for film, um, 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 film uh, preserving film and the historical um, um, record of film as well. He is a legend and he is an industry titan and he can't even get his film made because it's not a superhero movie. And I think a lot of people see that and they think, wow, if he can't get funding and the only way he can get it is Netflix which by the way is really interesting because I think you and I are going to be talking about a lot of Netflix when it comes to these nominations yeah um, I think so um, I think they they are really um, establishing themselves as the filmmakers um, medium I think a lot of filmmakers are going there to get their stuff made because all the studios they're making superhero movies yeah, well, I, I again, I, I'm not totally against them, but um, I just have never been a big fan. So just to hear these guys speak up a little bit about it, you're right. What The point you're making is correct, that it just probably pushed Mr Scorsese to the point of frustration that he's just come out and, and said, like, this brief comment, and then it's blown up like it has. Yeah. 
um, because of his own trials and tribulations of trying to get this movie released. And I think uh, he'll have the last laugh. He'll he'll have everyone talking about his movie over the next couple of months because I'm sure it's going to be nominated for a, a more than a couple nominations in the biggest you know time of year when it comes to celebrating film. I think it also could probably win. I I, I think it's a really good chance, and we'll get to those uh, directing and best films as well. But the uh, the so far the reactions to the movies and the uh, awards pundits, the experts, are pre- really predicting uh, the Irishman to go really well. Um, then again, he won for The Departed, right? He did, so yeah, he, yeah, and that that had less expectations on it. You know, if The Irishman had to come out then with the less expectations, I would agree with you. But because there's so much expectations on this now from people who haven't seen it, and all the strong uh, or the word of mouth is now from when it's played at festivals and that that how good it is. Yep. People people are now critics and and everywhere all around the world are now got this huge expectation that it's going to have to be a nine and a half out of ten or a nine out of ten to keep people happy. Yeah, that's just just how it is. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but I have a feeling that some people might actually not like it as much as what the hype is it's like a hype for uh, the next big blockbuster or the next big sequel you know that how often do we get let down when we see a big blockbuster after all the hype and you know i hope it's i, I don't think it's going to be the oh, like that for the irishman but you know for some people it might be they'll think what's all the fuss about okay really, i don't know really good part i think we're going to find out i'm going to watch it soon as soon as i do i'm going to let you know exactly how it is because um it's my most most anticipated movie. There's a Terence Malick film that's coming out later this year as well that's up there, but uh, The Irishman, because I think you know my tastes, and especially you know my favourite. Scorsese is my favourite filmmaker. De Niro and yes. Pacino are my favourite actors, so um, that's definitely something that, um, I mean, I, I'm like the latest Star Wars film. I'm looking forward to watching it, but it's got nothing in regards to the anticipation that I have in watching The Irishman. And I like to think that a lot of the other people who are listening to this podcast are the same. I think so. There's enough people listening that remember Goodfellas and then the back, whole back catalogue of Scorsese, even the lesser films that he, he's done that we enjoy. After Hours is one that I actually love, yep. and a lot of people don't talk about it. The King of Comedy got brought up a lot recently because of Joker yep. and Taxi Driver. So, yeah, he's an influence on so many different people, like a whole handful of these elder statesman directors and producers are and i i love that i love how not everything old is new again but really the newer people in the business are also looking up to these these auteurs that's great and uh i'm i'm with you you're probably a little bit more amped up than i am about the irishman but i'm not far behind you i'm really looking forward to it let's move on now to prediction time so we are going to tackle supporting actress today. And so it doesn't have to be the movies that we've seen. We're going to make projections. We're going to make predictions based on what we know, what we've heard, what we've read, based on maybe on films that we've seen as well. So how about, Shane, you start us off. What's going to be your first pick for Best Supporting Actress nomination? Well, the first one, I'm going to make it an easy one and a straightforward one. Maggie Smith in Downton Abbey. Okay. <laughs> she was really good. Like, I know she's just extending the role that from the television show, which is won Emmy Awards for. But uh, just to keep it brief, she's Maggie Smith. I couldn't take my eyes off her. And there are certain little twists and um, good moments in this movie that uh, extend what she was doing on television. So, you know, I, she could sneak in there and I think she was quite worthy of a nomination as support. She's a two-time Oscar winner for actress in the prime of Miss Jean Brody and also supporting role in California Suite in 1979. Um, her last nomination came in 2002 for Gosford Park, which was also an ensemble piece. I think, like, um, thematically and visually kind of does um, kind of like compare somewhat to what Downton Abbey has. I've only seen maybe a few episodes of the show. Um, the movie itself, though, has got some really good um, reviews, hasn't it, Shane? I loved it. Yeah, I really loved it. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the show, though. Uh, I stuck with it and watched it over the years, so I was familiar with a lot of the characters, but uh, she's, she's great, and I didn't realise that she hadn't won for such a long time. Um, but, yeah, Gosford Park has got a lot of similarities to Downton Abbey because of the upstairs, downstairs, and the, the higher upper class and the lower class of the characters yep. involved. Yep. So um, there you go. It could be an omen. My first pick is going to be Laura Dern 
in a movie that's coming up called Marriage Story. This is one of those Netflix films I was telling you about just before. Um, right. Directed by Noah Baumbach. has stars Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson as a married couple who go through a divorce. Laura Dern plays the part of a div- the divorce lawyer in that movie. And supposedly her performance in it is so fantastic that um, people have her predicted to take out the gong. She's been a two-time nominee so far. Uh, first one came as a leading role in Rambling Rose in 1991. But since then, uh, last nominee has been for Wild. Remember the Reese Witherspoon movie that came out um, several years back. Uh, so she was nominated for that as well. So, yeah, that was a good movie. I like that film quite a bit. I like the performance of that. Laura Dern's a really interesting actress because she's a person who has really kind of have a late career kind of like um, um, uh, resurgence of, of and um, she was in, of course, in the last Star Wars movie. She does great things in TV. Big Little Lies was a big uh, role for her. And she also makes has a prominent role in the Academy as well. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Marriage Story does as a whole, along with Irishman. I think there's like a few different movies that um, Netflix has. So um, you're going to have Irishman, Marriage Story, and um, The Two Popes in particular. I think those three in, partic- those three in particular um, can make an impact on the awards season uh, up ahead. And so Laura Dern is my first pick. Um, what about you, you, Shane? You're a big fan of Laura Dern? Oh, I love Laura Dern, yeah. When you said Laura Dern, though, I, I was expecting you to say Laura Dern in Little Women. Ah. Because she's in Little Women as well. And that brings me to my next pick, which is Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Now, I have yet to see Little Women, but I just know that this is going to be a massive film and a, an awards darling. One, because of Greta Gerwig putting her spin on it. And if you just got to watch the trailer to know that it's going to be the same but different, yep. if that makes sense. And why I'm saying Meryl Streep is because she's Meryl Streep. Yep. She's been nominated over the years for supporting actress and lead actress, but mostly supporting actress in films that you would not think that she would be nominated for. And I think she's only there, be- not just because she's Meryl Streep, but she has that reputation. When she's in a movie, people are going to take notice. Uh, she's also in The Laundromat which I just recently saw too. Uh, She kind of plays a dual role in that. And you think it's a lead, but there's moments in the film where she just disappears. So I would call that probably a supporting actress role as well. And, uh, yeah, so there's two movies that the... The Golden Globe Foreign Media or the Academy or whoever, the SAGs, they've got to choose from not one but two Meryl Streep performances. So you never know. And Little Women is one of those movies that I think you could handpick a whole heap of actresses from, uh, in particular Florence Pugh, who I think will end up being lead either for this or Midsummer. but that's another podcast. So Meryl Streep for me, The Laundromat and Little Women. Interesting you say Florence Pugh because that was going to be my next pick actually for supporting. Um, and look, it's interesting you say lead or supporting because I think ensemble pieces like this, depending on how they want to uh, do their campaign, um, can go either way. I'm just going to go with supporting uh, with Florence Pugh though. Um, I think maybe Saoirse Ronan is going to go for that lead uh, category. Now, they don't like their actors competing too much in there. And yeah. you mentioned The Laundromat before as well, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh um, on Netflix right now. It's another Netflix movie we're talking about. Um, so already we picked up four Netflix films. And <laughs> so Little Women um, is really um, interesting in that um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, articles have already come out talking about how it's already hitting the award circuit hard. It's had some early uh, reactions talking about how Greta Gerwig, Gerwig handled uh, the material, which... You know, I said to my wife, actually, um, she knows, she loved the Winona Ryder movie, and she saw the Catherine Hepburn one as well. She yeah. knows about the book by Louisa May Alcott as well, and I talked about how, you know, the new one coming out, and she said something that was really interesting in that, how many of these are they going to make? Because there's so many adaptations of this movie um, in different various forms as well. Um, but from by all accounts, this one is going to turn out perhaps to be one of the better ones, and Florence Pugh is a an, act, an actor that, I've been a fan of for some time. I don't know if you saw um, Lady Macbeth that came out a couple of years ago. I did, yes. She was absolutely fantastic in that movie. And I was really kind of upset that she didn't get enough... Um, uh, uh, I think we me. may have even talked about it a couple of years ago. 
Yep, because um, she's been on my radar for quite some time, but that breakthrough performance of hers in Midsummer is was just astounding. Uh, so I'm glad you got her as one of your picks because I actually thought she would be more of a lead in this, but, you know, I'll go with support because it's going to be a bit of a take-your-pick here. I know that, as you say, Saoirse Ronan plays Joe, Joe March, who's one of the main characters in the book and the films so we'll see and i just can you can just tell from the trailer that they've they've stayed true to the story but they've greta gerwig has just put this little bit of a mix in there and i I have a feeling that it's going to be fantastic and timothy chalamet looks like he's just made for the role what's next on your uh list joe uh, look, this is tough because no one's going to either probably know the actress or the movie. The movie's not out yet. It's called The Banker. Um, the actress is Taylor Black. Now, The Banker is based on a true story starring uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Anthony Mackie, mm-hmm. set in the 50s, uh, and it's about someone, some business guys who want to pretend that they're actually not who they are but they are are doing the business from behind the scenes. And Taylor Black, she's been in a few television shows, but I saw her in a movie called Addicted a couple of years ago, and you could just tell that this this actress really had something. She just was in the film maybe 15 minutes overall, and she really did have something. It was an uh, independent film, but she shined. She's also in the unreleased, as far as I know, new Woody Allen movie as well. Mm -hmm. She's got a, a role in that. But this movie just has the hallmarks of it being something special. And I, when I saw her name in the cast, I just thought, you know, this could be something, a bit of a breakthrough. And low-key movie, uh, yet to be released. I think it's due to re- be released before the end of the year, so it will qualify. But Nicholas Holt is also in it. Uh, but Samuel L. Jackson and Anthony Mackie, I think, would be a great duo to work around. And Taylor Black is my next pick. Um, the Banker, directed by George Dolphy. He did The Adjustment Bureau, which I was a really big fan of, actually. Oh, did he? Yeah, mm. that, that was a fantastic movie, actually. Underrated. I think so, too. I think at the same time, the same year that film came out was Inception. I think Inception kind of took away the shine from that movie because it was dealing with similar kind of things, similar themes as well. Um, but, yeah, Emily Blunt and Matt Damon were terrific in that movie, and um, George Dolphy also wrote The Adjustment Bureau as well, so... Um, yeah, so you've got a great talent behind the screen. So yeah, we're going to be very interested to see where Taylor Black. I love uh, these uh, sometimes the uh, left field picks that you make because um, especially <laughs> when they start to get some real traction behind it, then I'm like, yep, yeah, that's from talking Oscars right there. So people uh, should take notice. Um, my next one is going to be a uh, known, very much known celebrity um, who did a performance in a film that has really garnered her her biggest acting accolades in decades and that is jennifer lopez in the movie hustlers now i have seen hustlers i'm not a big fan of hustlers i have a lot of trouble with the movie uh you can't deny that jennifer lopez uh, has made an impact with critics and with awards um pundits as well and i think well after when you have an actor like her or a personality like her who puts together a really great performance after several years of just not doing much. It really makes people stand notice of their talent. And um, the movie directed by Lawrence Scafaria definitely has a lot of great performances and Jennifer Lopez is to stand out here. Now she could definitely go for the lead category. I think they'll be wise not to do that though because like I said I wasn't the biggest fan of the film and I don't think there's enough kind of power or juice there behind the performance to go for the lead character. I think Constance Wu is definitely more the lead than Jennifer Lopez is. So in supporting, I think the supporting character is just the right kind of thing that's good, uh, right for her. I think she can join the likes of maybe say something like a... um, Mark Warburg or a Matthew McConaughey, kind of like these actors who for a long time have kind of been, not been on the radar as awards worthy, uh, so to say, but then kind of like, you know, have that great performance behind them. So I'll be really interested to see whether Jennifer Lopez does get that, um, does it get that rub by the Academy. For sure, she's going to be out there doing a lot of kind of interviews and doing the campaigning. I mean, she's just tailor-made for that stuff. She's a a superstar in every way, both in the music and movie industries and everything in between, reality shows, American Idol. Um, so I can definitely see her definitely getting in there, um, if not for the performance, just based on the fact that she's going to campaign the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah I've got to agree. Um, I had her in my honourable mentions because I couldn't really, I couldn't really place her in lead or support because she really does 
knock it out of the park, this this role. And, you know, she's been performing in one way or another for over 20-odd years now. I remember yeah. seeing her in Money Train mm-hmm. with Woody Harrelson yeah. and Leslie Snipes, and she stood out in that. And it's been a long journey for her. But in movies, no matter what they are, normally there's something about it that she brings. And this was a bit of a tour de force for her. The movie itself I didn't mind. I thought it was okay. I, I enjoyed it while I watched it. It's got a good soundtrack. It's got some good performances. But Jennifer Lopez really was a powerhouse in this. And uh, I agree totally with everything you just said. Although, I don't know if she'll slip into a support role because to me she's much more of a lead. Yeah, yeah. It's always tricky, those kind of category choices. And I think we're going to see a lot of kind of like toing and throwing uh, between there, uh, between support and lead for a lot of these um, actors. I think so. And some of the movies that we're talking about too we haven't seen and there'll be others that we don't know about that might pop up along the way as well. It's very hard this far out, but you've hit the nail on the head when it comes to how much she stood out jennifer lopez in hustlers and it's like the whole body of work built up to this in a way yeah it kind of like reminds me a bit of magic mike and what mcconaughey did in that movie as well um kind of similar in that way yeah well that's drawing a long bow but yeah you're right um you're right actually yeah and the more i think about it they're they're movies that i've only ever seen once i didn't go back and revisit the two magic mics after i saw them (laughs) i'm pretty sure the only people who went back to see magic mike a few times (laughs) is a very specific demographic and i don't think we that we fall in that (laughs) um what's next on your list shane uh anna paquin in the irishman Uh uh-huh Ah, yes, we're talking about the Irishman again, but she is a child actor, as we both know, a child actor that won big when she was young, the Oscar, and just uh, she didn't fade away. She just kept on going and going, working with solid directors, doing television, doing movies, and, uh, you know, she's someone who just saps the energy out of some of these actors and co-stars in this film. Uh, I think Anna Paquin could be back in the um, in the mix to be nominated. And I last saw her, I mean, I see her in a lot of stuff, but I saw her again recently in a movie I hadn't seen for ages, the Spike Lee movie that she's in. Um, oh, the name escapes oh, me. Oh, 25th Hour. The 25th Hour with yeah. Edward Norton, that's it. And, uh, man, she was good in that too. So, uh, And she was a lot younger, so I just think that she'll hold her own in The Irishman. She's, she'll get... She'll have a good performance, no doubt, but Martin Scorsese is sure to bring bring the best out. Well, in the movie, she's playing the wife of Robert De Niro's character, so going toe-to-toe with a Robert De Niro in a Martin Scorsese film, um, I think, you know, look at all the kind of like the actresses that he's worked with over in the films, you know, Sharon Stone and uh, Lauren Bracco and all these other ones as well. They all put on great performances, and Nana Paquin definitely um, can, can do that as well. I haven't seen her myself in the screen for quite a while. I think the last thing I saw her in was a Netflix series. I forgot what it was called. It was like a period piece, the Civil War one. She wasn't in it for too long either. Um, I think a lot of people remember her more, more for the True Blood series as well. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what she's like on screen. And it's also interesting that all of her co-stars in the film are like 70-year-old guys that are being de-aged <laughs> with um, this, <laughs> this minor technology. And yeah. she perhaps, if, if her character, I haven't seen the film, if her character does grow in age with Robert De Niro's character, she her makeup thing is going to be totally different because, of course, she's much younger than De Niro. She's, so they're going to apply kind of like the older age makeup on her. So it's going to be a very different kind of uh, juxtaposition there between the two. But, yeah, that's a really good pick as well. And um, I really can't wait to see this film so we can really dive into it because I think when we do see that movie, a lot of questions are going to be answered in the, the placements of actor categories and, and, and what Scorsese could bring as a director and whether the film is best picture material because it's just going to be... Uh, a really, really strong uh, uh, showing. I think it's going to have at the Oscars. Um, yeah, I haven't seen much of her television work, to to be honest. But you know, I've seen the movies that she's made, and you made a good point. The Sharon Stone also played the wife of Robert De Niro in Casino. Yeah, and you know, look at that. She got nominated for that. No, I didn't look at it that way. But I just think there's so many child stars that just don't get through. You know, the good roles as they get older. But I. I think Anna Paquin has been very, very careful and selective, and this is one that is definitely going to be something on the radar for me to look into while I'm watching The Irishman. Next up on my is uh, Annette Benning 
for a movie called The Report. Now she's going to play a, um, a real, it's a real life story based on a true story um, and she's going to play a politician, a uh, senator named Diane Feinstein who's actually a senator from California, she's a democratic senator and the movie itself, written and directed by Scott Z. Burns, I, I don't know if you remember the name, he did a lot of, he's done a lot of work with um, Steven Soderbergh. So he wrote scripts for um, Contagion. The Laundromat, which you just spoke of before, he wrote that film as well. The Informant, he had a big part in that as well. And essentially this film stars Adam Driver as a um, idealistic Senate, Senate staffer who is asked by his boss to lead an investigation into the CIA's um, detention and interrogation program post 9-11. And as history knows, there's been some very bad things that happened there in regards to torturing of, um, of uh, like um, um, alleged terrorists, and etc. Uh, so Annette Benning, I think he's going to play like a shrewd politician, no doubt, and maybe maybe even a moral, the moral conscience or crusader of the movie as well. And she's an actress that um, has been nominated four times before. Last nomination came in 2010. It seems like every year, though, that when she has a movie ready to go, a lot of people have got her pegged for uh, a win to come sooner or later. It's kind of like what happened with Julianne Moore when she finally won as well. She got nominated over and over and over again. And then finally she got it at the end. Um, Annette Benning, I don't know if she'll win for this movie because I haven't seen it yet. I do think, though, that early reports for the film and the pundits really have her pegged high. And her, the name recognition that she has her and her body of work will, will, will come along with it as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it actually this coming week. Okay. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't know much about it. You've just told me a little bit about it. Uh, and Adam Driver's in it also, as you uh-huh. mentioned, and he seems to be in everything at the moment, yeah. and so he should be because he's just one of those brilliant young actors that I think, again, selective, but good good selections of films and into his career. Uh, yeah, Annette Benning's always been someone I've admired, so let's hope that uh, you're right because it'd be nice to see her name around again. Captain Marvel, she was she popped up in, which was good too. Man, right. I totally forgot about she was in that film. Maybe it had something yeah. to do with the movie itself, I'm not sure. But I, I didn't mind the film. I, I, thought, I thought it was rather good. It wasn't you know, in the same calibre of the other Marvel films I, I saw of late. But, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally forgot about that. Um, I think I never pegged her to be kind of like on the, in those kind of superhero movies, but these films tend to have that kind of role set aside for a certain uh, veteran actor or character actor like Robert Redford or Stanley Tucci or you know Hugo yeah. Weaving etc to fill those roles to give it I guess I imagine just to give it a little bit of cred uh, to you know whether it, whether it needs or not I'm not sure but yeah that's a really good point um, what's next on your list Shane? Uh, just one more before I do a couple of uh, before I do a couple of um, honourable mentions. Just one more, and it's kind of a combination. This one because she's appearing, she's in three movies mm. in in this last few months of the year. Margaret Qualley is the name. Okay, she was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and she's coming up in Seaberg, which is a movie about the actress Jean Seaberg. Okay, and she's also in a movie, a real small one at the moment, which isn't going to get nominated for anything, but it blew me away. It's such a good movie. It's called Strange But True, uh, which was just a really interesting concept. Um, but Margaret Qualley appeared in it as someone who was pregnant by someone who's already passed away. And, I mean, that's that's the premise of the story, and there's a little bit more to it. But she's a young actress. She's also the daughter of Andy McDowell. Okay. Uh, which is interesting, because I didn't know that at first. Especially, I didn't know that before I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's the uh, actress, the, the girl who lures Brad Pitt to the... Uh, the Western Town. Okay, the, the compound for the Manson Yeah, family. the compound. Yep. Uh, her name's, I'm not sure of her name in the movie, but, yeah, she's just that um, that hippie that takes Brad Pitt to the, the compound. And, uh, man, it's really exciting, a really good role. And I think that will be the one that she might get a look in for. But Seaberg is something that's got, you know, awards written all over it, being about an actual person. Uh, we've got people like Kristen Stewart in it with her. Uh, it could be good. Vince Vaughn's also in it from memory. Um, so, uh, who else is in it? Um, uh, Anthony Mackie looks like he's in it as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be a good film. And I like Jean Seaberg. If you go back to her association before she passed away, she had a really interesting life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a bit of a French, a lot of people thought she was French, but she wasn't. But she was part of that French new wave uh, 
movies that happened with Jean-Luc Godard around that 60s time. Okay. Anyway, Margaret Qualley, you'll know, if you know um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you know the scene I'm talking about, you'll know that she was very, very convincing. And I think, you know, a combo of these three good movies all happening close together, they could be on the minds of voters when they come to write down names. Her name in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was Pussycat, which is a very Tarantino uh, name for <laughs> for his um, like She was actually been in a bunch of films. She was in The Nice Guys as well. Um, she was in this really great, great film that came out a couple of years ago called um, Novi Teate, uh, which also had Melissa Leo, which is a rather good film she was in too. Um, yeah, and Strange But True, I keep hearing really good things about. I think, um, is it um, not Amy Adams? What's the Amy? It's Amy Berg, I think her name is. I think she was in that movie. She sure. looks like Amy Adams but it's Amy Ryan Amy Ryan that's right thank you very much yes so I know she's in that film and is that um, Greg Kinnear as well in that movie yeah he's the he's the father uh, it, it's just a it's an odd one to describe and when I say that she she appears to be well she is pregnant and she's telling people that she got pregnant by uh, someone her ex-boyfriend but whose ex-boyfriend's been passed away for some time right. so she goes back to the boyfriend's family and um, it sort of extends from there because there's a lot of underlying secrets mm-hmm. that sort of get exposed but she's she's brilliant in it and I know it's not going to get nominated for anything but it is a standout performance from her in it strange but true but yeah, Seaberg I've yet to see. I just like the premise and the fact that she's in it and it's going to be a strong story, I think. And then I will never forget her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That that whole moment of going back to the in-the-car trip with Brad Pitt's character and then getting out of the car and then all the commune coming together. And, oh, it was an intense half an hour of the movie. And she had a lot to do with it, I thought. Great pick, their idea. And that's something I definitely want to watch, that Strange But True style movie, because um, the cast looked fantastic in it. Um, my final pick is Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Now, this movie is um, written and directed by Taika Waititi. It has a really odd uh, plot to it. Essentially what it is, it's based um, during just before or during World War II, and a young boy in Hitler's army finds out that his mum, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. Um, Taika Waititi not only directs and wrote the movie, he also stars in the film as the boy's imaginary friend, who is Adolf Hitler. Um, So (laughs) we haven't seen the film yet. I'm waiting, I'm eagerly awaiting um, for an invitation from Fox for, for it to come our way. It kind of bums me out, though, that a New Zealand uh, filmmaker's film isn't coming out here before the rest of the world, but let's just continue on with that. Um, and Scarlett Johansson is really interesting because she hasn't received any Oscar nominations as yet. She got three, um, sorry, four Golden Globe noms. Last one was for Matchpoint in 2005. Since then, of course, we've talked previously about Marvel movies and superhero movies. She's more synonymous with that world. Um, it's been playing the part of Black Widow, and she's fantastic in those movies too. Um, but this year, she's really kind of pushing forward her um, acting chops again. She has um, Jojo Rabbit, and she also has Marriage Story, which we, we spoke about previously, um, also starring Adam Driver. Um, that name com- comes up again. I think that's going to be a name we're going to see. Quite, I'll talk about quite a bit um, yeah. in the next uh, couple of months. And I think um, like her role in this movie, it's kind of like a comedic fantasy, but it deals with serious themes as well. Um, I think it's going to be enough this time to secure her that, nom- that nomination. If she doesn't go for the lead in Marriage Story, which could be a possibility as well, I think supporting would be a good way to go. She probably won't win, but um, see, she's one of those um, actors that's been around for a very long time, been nominated for BAFTAs and Golden Globes. I think she's, she's due for an uh, Academy Award, and Jojo Rabbit seems to be that movie that can do it for her. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I love Scarlett for multiple reasons. She's absolutely gorgeous, and I love her voice. If she could get a nomination for just her voice alone, I thought her would have garnered garnered that because just hearing her voice in that movie was amazing. The movie itself was good. But you're right, she's another child actor, actually. Mm -hmm. She She was in Manny and Lowe and Ghost World these movie independent movies when she was young and she worked her way up. I loved Vicky Cristina Barcelona that she was in um, and also the man who wasn't there, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. So, yeah, she is going to be either a winner or at very least a nominee at some point. Something is going to trigger the uh, voters to put her in the mix. And I like her a lot, but this movie, I've got to be a little bit um, different to you. I'm not hanging out for it. 
other than the hunt for the wilder people, I have not liked a lot of Taika Waititi's films, mm-hmm. including Thor Ragnarok. And mm-hmm. I can hear the, the hate from all the Marvel people listening. I'm very sorry. But I liked the film. It was pretty good. But to me, it just wasn't the, the, the shit that everyone else thought it was. Yep. And Taika has a very odd sense of humour. And I think it's going to be very, very prominent and pushed to the limit in this new movie, obviously. And I'm going to see it. I, I kind of do look forward to seeing it because of the premise and what's going to happen, but I, I'm not hanging to see it like a lot of people are, but that's just me again. And I think history has shown us that that type of satire, especially dealing with that type of subject matter, doesn't really go over too well with the Academy. Um, you have films like in the past, like for example, something like Death of Stalin, which I thought was terrific, one of my favourite movies of that year. I think maybe you might have gotten the screenplay uh, nomination for Best Adapted, but other than that, you didn't really get anything else, which was a shame because I thought it was an ex- extremely well-made movie. Um, so that, I think, might be a sticking point as well um, in regards to getting nominations. But um, Scarlett Johansson, yeah, she's been around for such a long time. Like you said, she was a, a child actor. has been on our screens in one facet or another, indie darling to blockbusters and everything in between. Now she's got these pair of films coming up. I just, I just feel that in the categories-wise, in regards to the competition, that Jojo Rabbit might, like a supporting turn in Jojo Rabbit, might give her more of a chance to get a nom than something like um, a lead um, category, which of late, um, in the, like lead actress, has been really competitive and has really great talent in there over the last few years. Um, I, I'd argue even better than the men's categories. Um, so... I can I can see it happening. Don't sure if it will. I think it's really going to depend on just how um, the academy's members are going to go for the satire in that movie. But then again, like I've said so many times before, the academy is getting younger. It's getting more diverse, so maybe they will. Um, and Taika has made a lot of good um, uh, good connections, good friends. Is making good movies. Um, so yeah, it's going to be. Uh, interesting to see where Scarlett Johansson falls in their awards ceremony um, race um, this award season. Um, what um, uh, uh, special mentions do you have on your list, Shane? Uh, Riley Keough for Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, she was really good in that, and I'm a bit of a Riley Keough fan. I bring up her movies all the time, different things I've seen. She's got a horror movie that's out now, I believe, that's streaming that I have not seen yet. Okay. Um, that I'm looking forward to, but this is something that I just really want to stress that the acting in it under the silver lake and you agree, don't you? Yes. You thought it was, well, I remember talking to you about it. So I wanted to throw her in as someone that I want to name as a possibility. And we've got movies like cats and bombshell coming <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. All female orientated, uh, ensembles, little women. So, there's going to be so many in the mix that we haven't mentioned yet, you know? Yeah. But, and, um, and also yeah. something like, um, what's that sh- movie that's coming out, Last Christmas, Emma Thompson, maybe something we should get from that, or it could be a possibility there. The Bombshell one's really interesting, though, because I was always thinking that maybe Margot Robbie might get something either from Once Upon a Time um, in Hollywood or Bombshell. Supposedly she's fantastic in that film from the early reactions I've read about, so that could be a possibility as well. Yeah, well, she's sort of another honourable mention, Margot Robbie, from either Bob Shell or, um, of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I don't think she will win for and I, um, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a long shot to be nominated for that role, although she was good in it, and I think we did discuss that briefly. But her bombshell um, character, I believe, is a lot, you know, a lot going for it. And Russell Crowe was in a movie. Um, recently called the loudest uh, television show called the loudest voice mm. which tackles the same uh, subject yeah so it's going to be interesting now i've seen that series how they do it um cinematically you know yeah. so and the horror movie um is called hold the dark okay that's with riley keogh i've yet to see it but i've been recommended it okay something coming up for halloween i think shane some halloween film there Definitely, and uh, I come to you when it comes to horror movies because you know your stuff. Um, so let's end it there. We got a whole bunch of different predictions. Good to see, by the way, that you and I were going. You know, we, we hardly had any kind of crossover. I think maybe Florence Pugh was the clo- closest one there. I love it when that happens because we can put just a different variety and a different uh, predictions that we have, and that worked out really well. Um, so we're going to get together again in a couple of weeks to talk about supporting actor. Let's see how this um, conversation evolves. A lot of m- new movies are going to come out. 
uh, from now to then, then I'm, I'm hopefully we see each other at maybe a couple of screenings. I've got two next week. Um, until then, Shane, where can people find you online? As always, if anyone's interested in interviews and red carpet photos or chats to whoever, uh, you can find me on two social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter, on the same handle, at movie underscore analyst so at movie underscore analyst and everyone out there you can find matt's movie reviews on facebook twitter youtube and instagram um also you can find the podcast i'm trying real hard i'm having a little technical snafu and getting the podcast up on itunes and spotify so at the moment you can hear the podcast on um uh, pod, on Podbean, you can hear it on uh, SoundCloud. You, I got it on YouTube. I got it on Facebook. I got, got links on Twitter as well. Uh, hopefully by by tomorrow, when this new podcast comes up, I will have um, iTunes and Spotify sorted out as well. Just a little problem with my programs. I had to get whole new programs, updated stuff, and some of the attachments with it got you know, missing. So I'm just in the middle of getting all that stuff done. Um, you know, if only I, I knew tech stuff as well as a new film writing, then it will make get it done quicker. But uh, I'll get there in the end. Um, well, you're a busy man, Matt, and you know you're probably just telling us that, but you're really standing outside the cinema ready for the Irishman to start. That's why this reception might be bad for you to put a podcast out. I'm at the Ritz right now. I've camped out, and I'm the one. I'm the one uh, Pacino fan out there as well. Everyone else is waiting to see Avengers Endgame again. <laughs> Um, Shane, it's great to see you, uh, talk to you again, sorry, and um, hopefully do see you at a screening soon, and until then, take care. Always love chatting movies, and I do hope we catch up soon, Matt. Until next time, bye for now.